0: Welcome to the Indigenous Approach, the official podcast of the Army's 1st Special Forces Command, a podcast too unconventional to be called conventional. All right, and now we're joined by the 1st Special Forces Command. Command team, gentlemen, if you can, just please introduce yourself.
1: Hey, I'm Gil Ferguson. I'm the commander of 1st Special Forces Command. I'm
2: Dave Waldo, the uh, command sergeant major for 1st Special Forces Command.
3: And I'm Lalo Mosqueda, the command chief warrant officer for 1st Special Forces Command.
0: Gentlemen, appreciate you being here. I know it was a lot of moving pieces to get all three of you in the same room at the same time on the same day. Uh, So (laughs) thanks for taking time out of your schedules being here. Definitely important for you to be here. So two topics we want to talk today is uh, the command's vision, who we are, and then also some of the recent uh, things like the RSOFT integration uh, just kind of dispel some rumors out there. So kick it off first, you know, so, sir, I know you, you recently, you know, signed a vision not too long ago, but you've been out, you know, preaching the gospel, talking the vision for months since you took command. Uh, and one of the the key things that you touch on in the vision is the RSOFT culture. And I've heard you say, fight for our culture. And so- just kind of want to get your take, you know, explain, you know, what was what fighting for your culture mean or what is the RSOLF culture specifically?
1: Yeah, that's a there's a whole lot of components to that. And and I'll touch on some of it and we'll obviously get get some input from Lalo and DW. There's a. I, I don't want to try to. And, and I think you can see in the in the vision, we have not tried to get very specific with respect to the culture. I think you can I think you make a mistake when you try to get too specific about what a culture is, because you can box it in and you can actually make people feel like they're they're not part of it because they sure, don't necessarily yeah. ascribe to a certain aspect of it in in a certain way. So, you know, we've kept it really broad. I mean what, what you've what you'll hear us talk about all the time is there's there's really two things that we're worried about at the headquarters, and that's people and war fighting. You know, I uh I don't talk about readiness a whole lot because to me people in war fighting capture both of those. Yeah. You know, when the when the Army rolled out the people first concept a few years ago and it, it didn't go well, and I know the Army has recognized that it's it's because we we didn't do a great job communicating to ourselves just about how important a component readiness is for our people right i mean it's so so when i talk about people in war fighting when we talk about people in war fighting the primary components of that are ensuring that our people are taken care of they've got the right resources they've got the appropriate training for what they're going to do and and that they've got the appropriate time to take care of themselves personally you know their families, themselves? Are they getting the professional development opportunities that they want? That type thing. And that's a huge component of readiness. Yeah, You know, taking care of your people is a, I mean, we are a people-centric, we're a people-centric formation. We're very different from some of the other formations. Obviously, they still got fighter pilots and fighter planes, but it's, it's about the F-22 and the guy that can fly it. You know, nobody sure. says, oh, it's about the M-4 and the optics. Uh-uh. No, it's about the guy that's behind the M-4. You know, it's not about the computer that the, that the kid sitting over in the PSYOP, you know, Information Warfare Center is sitting behind. It's about the kid, right? It's about what he knows or her, uh, he or she knows. So the, the people aspect of it is, is fundamental to everything we do. And then what do we do? We do warfighting. You know, yep. and in the Who We Are document I, I we I make reference to the fact that, you know, all of the things that we do are designed and are focused on allowing us to take the fight to the enemy and fight and win our nation's wars. And so so that's when I talk about culture, that's I like to keep it yep. you know, broad in those terms you've seen in the in the who we are document we talk about a culture of creativity audacity and lethality and i think you know that really that's historical that's a historic those are historic uh, legacy soft attributes special operations attributes as far back as you want to go yeah. you know we usually start our soft legacy back seven years war the french and indian war with roger's rangers so little known fact he fought on the british side oh during the War for Independence. Most people don't know that. It's, yeah. We've, we've forgiven him that because of what he did in the, in the French and Indian War. But yes, he was, lo- he was a loyalist when the, when the big one started. So we don't usually talk about that. But, but those are, those are three really important components of who we are. If we want to get the right people and we want to be good at war fighting, the, the creativity, the lethality and the audacity are really important. I think audacity is something that we don't talk about enough in the army anymore. That is, you know, when you go back and look at World War II and you talk to some of those commanders or listen to what some of those commanders said audacity is a huge component of the way they approached war fighting and I think that too often people associate audacity with recklessness and they are Calling not the they, yeah. they are not the same thing yeah. uh, they are not the same thing. Audacity is is using your your training your intellect, your experience to assess and mitigate risk appropriately and then taking the bolder course of action because typically that allows you to gain a, an advantage over your opponent. And, and I really want our folks to feel like they have the, the freedom to think audaciously. And so that's, that's why I, I really wanted us to emphasize that in our Who We Are document. I guess the last thing I'll say just to kind of wrap up is, you know, I, I tell people all the time that if we get our selection right and our people right, then everything else takes care of itself, yeah. you know, but you've got it. That's why you have to fight for your, your culture, like your culture.
0: Yeah, I think when you mm-hmm. boil it down, like people in mm-hmm. warfight, and I've heard you say it before, mm-hmm. and I've heard the rest of you say it mm-hmm. too, is is like, hey, if you're not doing those two things, like, what are you doing? Right, yeah. what, why are we here? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, a lot of things coming from the command, just just simplifying things or like, you know, kind of, a, you know, just – Receive well, you know, just – we're not trying to overcomplicate things.
1: That clarity should be a big part of our responsibility as the command group. Yeah. We'll see after the <laughs> podcast if people think we're actually doing that well. Yeah. Uh, Joe Wortham has, has gone around and done a, a battalion command team LPD, mm-hmm. and we got some good feedback from there where folks – said hey look there's a lot going on and i have yet to really get a clear understanding from special forces command on what they want us to stop doing mm. and that comment probably more than any other really resonated with me because we we have discussed how important it is for us to as we travel around and talk to folks to give them clarity and say no i i don't want you to keep doing that yeah because there we we have a lot of legacy things that we've we've we did for all of the right reasons sure, yeah. and they're still good that's the that's the biggest challenge i think that we're going to face in the command is is making sure folks understand and i'll stop talking here in just a second <laughs> but make, making sure folks understand that you know when we're telling them to not do something it's not because we're like hey you guys don't know what you're talking about and you're you're not competent it's it's because it's a good thing, but there's another good thing or five other good things that we have to do. Yeah. And each one of these good things that we do comes at the expense. I tell I tell our boys all the time. We got three sons and I tell them all the time, "Hey, life is all about risk and trades." Yeah. That's it. Everything you do, there's a risk in everything you do and in every decision you make, there's a trade.
0: Yeah. I like the fact that people are saying, "What can I stop doing?" because I feel like uh, you know, I'm definitely a fan of uh, saying that I hate to do twelve things really mediocre instead of focusing on six things really well, and I think uh you know, just being burdened by things over the years, like you're saying, so you know definitely gotten complicated mm-hmm. um, I'll give you a break well sir. yeah, <laughs> I, you to something else. <laughs> I was just
1: gonna say and and you know we do have a responsibility, and i we address it in our who we are document to be jacks of all trades to a certain extent. We do have multiple missions that we're supposed to be good at and discuss the fact that command teams have the freedom and flexibility to say, okay, I want you guys to focus on this more than that. I want you to focus more on that than this. I think that's important because we have to give our subordinate units freedom to not do certain things so they can get better at others.
2: I guess what I would do is go back to the initial question, which is defining our culture. Because uh, you get that a lot, and, and what you find is the way I answer that most of the time, I find, well, I think I just said what I want our culture to be. Mm-hmm. And then and then you, you pull that back and you figure out, well, what is it now? I'll tell you, if I could look at our culture, man, can you imagine the power of America being able to look into this formation and seeing the best of itself? You, know, you can see people for who they truly are, and then the talent that comes from. Because there's nothing more powerful than a soldier, a well-trained US Army soldier that believes in themselves. And man, oh man, that if you can do that. But then if you put it back into ours, and I used to say this a lot too. You know, if you look at our folks that come into the RSOF world, you know, you're you're brilliant and, and you're compassionate, you're lethal and all those things. But one thing that certainly separates us is, is love. Now I know some folks are like, what is Waldo oh. talking about love? <laughs> Like, I mean, I just literally as I was getting ready for this podcast, I ate a rattlesnake like raw, you know, you bite the head off and
1: (laughs) just to balance it out, just to balance
2: it out. But what I'm talking about and people know when in those great moments of of adversity or chaos, when really the only thing that matters most is the person next to you. That's the warrior love that I think exudes our culture. And I think we find it here. So when you walk around here, that's what I want it to be. But I also think that's that's what it is.
0: It's funny that you say that because I've heard that quote before, somebody asking, and I don't remember who it is. It's like, you know, what is the greatest quality of a a soldier? He's like, it's love. Yeah. You know, it's like love for their soldiers, love to take care of them, you know, love for what they do. I was like, man, that's some poetic, romantic stuff there. You know, hearing, you know, a hardened, you know, soldier say love is the most important quality. Because they get
2: it. They feel it. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. You got to believe it and feel it. Yeah. I would say we like each other. I love to like each other. Uh, we don't necessarily like each other. Maybe not, but but you love somebody. You do anything for them. Mm. And uh, that's what, in fact, the chief and I got to talk to a baseball team a couple weeks ago. And, and as a natural athlete, I'm just bummed that I didn't get the chance to play collegiate baseball. You know, small-town politics kept me from getting my reps. <laughs> natural. <laughs> we'll Packed that a different right. natural. thing. But natural. one of the questions was, hey, how do you, how, you know, you say get better, get 1% better, which happens to be a Jim Harbaugh quote, by the way. But how do you get 1% mm. better every single day? And I, you find, like, man, I don't know. Like, you, you find something to do a little bit better than the day before. But I find that why you want to get 1% better, you want to attack things that are hard, is is because you don't want to let, you know, the thing I worry yeah. about most is I'm going to let the boss down. I'm going to let chief down. Like, man, if I'm not at my best, I might let them down because I'm sure as hell leaning hard on them. So I think that's a, that 1% thing. But it goes all the way back to to loving each other, you know, by nature of just the ability to get into our soft. You're going to be brilliant. Hopefully you're compassionate. You're going to be lethal because, by God, we're going to make sure you're training hard to be lethal. But I think you got
3: to love each other. I even love you, Chief. Well, CSM, (laughs) thanks for being audacious and taking a bite out of that. (laughs) Nice set-off. That's awesome. So I I think when we – I know for a fact when we did the Who We Are, we were talking about not just providing clarity but simplicity, Mm -hmm. hence why it's a one-pager um, and I've broken it down in my mind to more simpler terms. And, and even though I tell people it's not really the, the the how and the what, it encompasses the how and the what. So the who is the culture. That's that's who we are. Yeah. And then the the, the what is the legacy, and the how can be the creative creativity, the audacity, and the lethality. Right. And an example of that is how we're from CA, and SF. How we're incorporating new technologies. Sure. Right. Yeah. Day in day out. Partnering with forces, maybe new forces, rebuilding relationships, and then assuming risks where we needed. Uh, like the commander said, you know, willingness to take bold risks, being audacious. Yeah. Uh, we say we always say people are more important than hardware. I think that is a fact uh, because it's our people who are going to deliver on readiness, as the commander kind of brought up earlier. Uh, modernization and transformation efforts. So uh, that's with the people, right? And then we'll get into the warfighting a little bit here more. But uh, that's really on the who we are and the people we don't have the right people, we're not going to get anything done the right way.
2: Damn, Chief.
3: I'm going
2: to go real quick back to the audacious thing, too. Primarily because I wrote some stuff down, I want to make sure I get to it. Uh, okay, let's, it let's, 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 let's hit your checklist. <laughs> because uh, I see how you, know, you prepare for these things, and Chief's going to come at it like, Dad, you got to feel like you can, you know, I don't want to let him down. I love him. Yeah, Chief's of got,
0: like, He's prepared got notes speech. and answers. you got, yeah, like... Yeah. You were supposed to, to <laughs> say that on live. <laughs>
2: Shit, I'm glad you're going to edit this out. <laughs> but, uh... You know, it's easy to – it's fun to say, hey, let's be audacious and always choose the wiser thing. But if you think about it, that's pretty hard to do. And, and I'm well, going to bring up because she just passed, but Rosalind Carter was a champion for behavioral health before it was, was positive. True, yes. And to meet to meet the old man here is a history professor, Jeremy Bethune, British philosopher back in 1748 and 1832. He had a vision for, for basically Western society, Western governors before – you know, that was back when the slave trade was a cornerstone of all markets. That was – you know, women were considered property of their of their fathers and of their husbands, but he was so forward-thinking that it wasn't but 100 years after he died where a lot of stuff came to, to fruition. I actually wrote his name down. I'm not going to use his name because we're going to get tens of listeners on this thing, and I hate to be Ooh, that guy. Tens Whoa. of listeners. Right?
0: I was going to tag your small town and, <laughs> and check on the politics of Taylor, Michigan, yeah. exit
2: 285. <laughs> M&M's 8 Mile or 285 Mile. Please tag them. You'll get 20s of listeners, but... Uh, you know, we've all had that boss that when they were in command doing things, you're like, ah, oh, this isn't working and we're, we're eroding. But then you look back and you're like, wow, he was, he was way ahead of time. Sometimes being audacious is challenging assumptions and, mm-hmm. and, and trusting your instincts and your gut to, to get through the the initial backlash because there's going to be a lot of it. And then you look back and you're like, wow, that, that person was – that's what we also mean by being audacious is, is having the courage and the fortitude to fight through the adversity that's going to come when you're – when you're changing the world, so I wanted to add that in.
0: Yeah, so the the big part, uh, Chief, you talked about that I kind of hone in on, and I always do, is the legacy piece to it, because mm-hmm. uh, our of history and legacy is pretty pretty rich and pretty. It's mm-hmm. not as well known as like some of the big conventional units, you know, for whatever reasons, you know, protected and stuff, whatever. But there's just a lot of things in history that you know you look back in the legacy is like. Yeah, the people who came before you did these awesome and great things, you know, don't forget it. There's still some lessons to be learned there because I know like our last episode, you know, we dug into deep on the history of JFK. I was like, you yeah, know, there's a lot of stuff people don't know. Like, oh, okay, JFK, uh, JFK gave us the Green Berets or whatever. But there's just a lot more stuff that was, you know, mm-hmm. worthwhile digging into. And I think, you know, it's important, you know, don't forget that legacy because it's part of the culture. So. Well,
1: we just brought up the, the ritual of going to D.C. to commemorate mm-hmm. the 60th anniversary. Um, you know, and I'm new to the unit, so having you know witnessed that that history in real time, and just the interest, you know, a stu- I, I was standing at the media stand, which is kind of behind the behind where where everyone else was sitting, and a student group came walking in, and you know, you get these young people, 12 to 15 years old, just not really understanding what what was particular going on, but just the interest in their eyes, and just being able to witness that history in real time was huge.
2: Mm-hmm. You want to hit that, boss, because that's a pretty phenomenal story about who those those children were yeah.
1: yeah so tabitha farmer's son that was a bunch of kids i think they were i don't know it if was, they were all just classmates or if they were from different his grades school. He was but it was school, from his, yeah. they were all from his school and so they had come up to see the actual the ceremony that day but to your to your point i this is these are kids from and i can't remember where where they were from specifically we'll edit it in to make yeah, sure we'll yeah we'll add that in yeah get the right um, info yeah but they came there for that event, and then there were some follow-on things that they were doing later that day. So, so Tabitha and her son were there. I got to meet them, and uh, I mean I had met them before, but I got to meet got to meet them there at the at the actual event, and that's when they explained where all those kids had come from. And so, yeah, it was it was really special to have them all there. It was a it was a really you couldn't have asked for a much more perfect setting. Just the the, yeah. the day itself, mm-hmm. the people that we had there, having the secretary of the army there and the secretary of the navy there was was hugely important for us, for them to get to see that. And because Secretary Warmouth had certainly never seen it, and Secretary De La Rosa neither, had, no. had not seen it either. And she was not able to stay. She had to go to the Hill. She was literally leaving for the Hill as soon as she, she left it. Uh, Secretary De La Rosa was able to stay, though that was nice.
2: Talk about being audacious, too, boss. I'm going to steal your... Mm. You know, JFK is the one that said we're going to put someone on the moon, <laughs> not because it's easy, but because it was hard.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and we we, I just I mentioned that at the we had a luncheon after the, the reef laying and I didn't make very many remarks. But but one of them that I referred to was the fact that, you know, we take that for granted. We've sent people to the moon and brought them back safely every single time we've sent anybody. We've had uh, we've had a, a couple of close calls, Apollo 13, and we did have you know we did have the one the one spaceship that or the one you know Apollo mission that, that burned up on the mm-hmm. on the launch pad, which was obviously a tremendous tragedy. But we do take for granted the the, the space program, and we're you know now we're I think they're still working on the, the the Mars you know the manned Mars expedition and all the spacecraft for that. I don't know if the funding has dried up on that one or not, but that was they relaunched that. You know, re-energize that a couple, of three years ago. So it's just something that everybody knows we do and we take for granted. But when he made that statement, you know, in the early 60s that he wanted to put somebody on the moon and bring them safely back to Earth within the next decade, yeah. there were a whole lot of people that were, wow, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> we we can't do that. We are we're nowhere close. Our rockets are blowing up on the launch pad all the time. They're blowing up as soon as they take off. They're crashing. The, the program was not in, in a good spot. We'd obviously we, – we felt really behind in the space race. The Russians had beat us into space with Sputnik and whatnot. So it was an audacious, audacious thing for him to say and to challenge people to. But that's – again, that's part of who we are, right? Someone yeah. challenges us with that, and we, we bring all the resources to bear that we can to see that vision through.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely a, a simple line, too, just a short line, creative line, audacious line, inspired a generation. And it's like, right. How much of what we do, we do it just to say we did it, too. <laughs> you know, yeah, just yes, the ones like, yeah. mm-hmm. hey, we're going to do it because we can do it. You right. Yeah, I mean, not because it's right. easy,
2: because it's hard. Right. And, right. and uh,
1: yeah. our, oh, No, right. I was going to say, that's a huge part of why people come into these formations.
2: Yeah, that's I was right. about to say, I was literally about to yeah, say yeah. the same well, thing, just for yeah. the record. That's how we roll. <laughs> that's how synced up we are yeah. as a command team, but... Yeah. Yeah, folks in this formation already hit the, the mark of being audacious because when you're, you are join the Army, well, let's, let's make it even harder. Let's, let's let's go bold, which is what the boss is talking about. But, you know, I remember sitting there and the, getting ready to go up for the JFK thing. You know, I got to give my bray and put it down on the thing. And as I'm sitting there, I'm worried about all the important things, whether my, my boot laces are in, whether my buttons are straight. <laughs> but then when you stand up, the, the weight of that moment really, really mm-hmm. hit me. And then you're up there and, the, uh, man, my bray must have, felt like a thousand pounds, but literally in that, in that moment, I'm, I'm going to overstate this a little bit, but you know, 20 years of doing this kind of thing. I, I remember, I remember team week. I remember the guys on my team. I remember all the folks that seemingly up there with me, you know, cause that's what you're representing. And that goes all the way back to, to the love, you know, and how much that, that resonates. But what a powerful, and I appreciate the, the opportunity to do that. It wasn't lost on this, but I'm not going to also disguise how heavy of a moment that was and how magical it was and and. Yeah, I'd leave it at that.
0: Well, you did well. I didn't see any, any mess-ups or anything. Or
2: People have said that it was the finest laying of the beret down that, <laughs> yeah. that they've ever seen. I don't know. I, I didn't. It was you know, exemplary. I was. The, it I was, appreciate that. It was, is, is, it was that exemplary. is that
0: one of those? Is like one of one? It was like the first yes. time I've seen it. It was yeah. pretty good.
2: It was. Yeah, that's not fair. <laughs> that's
0: not fair. <laughs> uh, all right. So one more thing I wanted to jump on on the. The, uh, the vision, and sir, I know you already talked about it, is the the we are journalists, multi-sport athletes part of mm-hmm. it. Because, you know, I think I get it. You know, you got to be, you know, good at a bunch of things, to be able to easily pick up, to move around, adapt with the times or whatever, adapt mm-hmm. with whatever changes of technology and all that stuff. Yeah, so I just want to kind of hear, you know, your explanation of it. And do you think the clear, I think the clear it up, because, you know, maybe some people see it and it's like, well, are we not experts for journalists and multi-sport athletes? And to me it's like. Yeah, you're an expert at being a journalist and a multi sport athlete. I think that's the way you describe
1: it. Yeah, so so that, I'm glad you asked that because there, I don't know that that's I don't know how that's resonated out there. And I actually I, I didn't come up with that originally. That's not an original thought. I actually borrowed that from the Special Air Service in the UK, okay. and they refer to themselves that way for a really good reason. And they 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 use that term really in juxtaposition to how they would describe, you know, the special mission unit that's here at Fort Bragg. That mission or that unit, at least over the last 20 years and really since its inception, has had a pretty narrowly focused mission, right? Now, they've, they've employed the operational capabilities that they've developed to meet that mission in a variety of different contexts. But it is highly, highly specialized. When you look at the Special Air Service, they, for 50, 60 years at this point, I guess longer than that. I mean, it's been since really World War II when they got stood up. And then as they evolved in the 50s, they have answered all of the special operations requirements for the United Kingdom, really. You know, the SBS came along later, but and obviously they've got the maritime mission. But – you know, we have the FBI HRT to resolve some sort of national level, you know, hostage crisis in the United States. We have that. They do not. You know, um, our intelligence services have their own paramilitary organizations that can go do things on the ground. And obviously, we, everybody listening to this probably knows that we help out with that. But they have that. The special intelligence service, or is it secret intelligence service? I guess SIS, MI six. They they do not have that. They don't have their own you know ground people, and so so the SAS has a lot of roles. They do domestic hostage rescue and 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 crisis response domestically. They do it internationally. They do unconventional warfare in the classic sense that we would refer to now as really just you know working through partners, right? Yeah. So they will refer to themselves that way, and that really resonated with me because I'm like, okay, this is an organization that globally probably is has more notoriety than even the special mission unit here at Bragg, right? Sure. And everybody kind of looks to them as as the the hallmark. Yet they are they understand what they do enough, and they know the requirement their national requirements en- enough to get the fact that they, they're, they're generalists, and not they're not going to be as good at some of the things that the unit here does just because they're generous, But that's okay because whenever the United Kingdom needs something, prince well, I guess King Charles now needs something, he's going to call the SAS, right? And so, you know, we've obviously got a much bigger bigger army. You can fit the entire U.K. Army in like a decent, you know, like a Michigan, uh, let's say, um, Division I football stadium. You know, it's like 85,000 folks, right? Uh, and we 111, got 111,000. Yeah. We're going to edit yeah, that. Okay, in. Yeah. <laughs> whatever.
2: Precision matters. Yeah. I'll
1: write it down. Yeah, thank you. Make sure to correct the record. <laughs> it was generally yeah. correct. Yeah. Yeah. I stri- didn't strike that. I didn't, I didn't write it. Down. <laughs> strike, strike that from the record. 111,000. Anyway, the point being that we've got a bigger army. More, it's 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 better resourced. We have more options to throw at problems, but SF being something of the generalist formation where we do have a variety of roles and hey if we need to send a company that does that is well trained, highly trained to operate in a combat environment, to operate against a you know a particular target in a company sized formation, yeah, we got that. If we need to jump people in via free fall or, you know, whether it's standoff doing a hey-ho operation, yeah, we've got that. We've got people that can go under the water. We've got people that can go on top of the water. We've got people that do you know uh that we operate in all the different environments yeah. obviously the from the high north to the mountainous environments to the jungles of uh south america you know asia and africa so we to to think that we aren't generalists is is probably a little bit unrealistic yeah and and so what I'm trying to do when I have conversations with folks is, and you you understand that's that's not a criticism. That's actually a good thing. <laughs> they, I mean, the the Uncle Sam does not need us to be one trick ponies. Sure. They've got some one trick ponies, and they're really really good at those tricks. And they they pull them out to use them when when those tricks are appropriate. They need us all over the planet all the time because th- those units that are one trick ponies and again that's not a criticism either and it is a it is a generalization yeah. uh, i mean they're 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 clearly not just one trick ponies but but they are they do have a more focused mission i guess to be more specific since this is you know going to get blasted out to to be more specific they have a very focused mission and if they are doing the things that sf is doing then they will not be what the nation needs them to be when the time sure. comes. Yeah. Uh, the nation needs us giving placement and access through our presence, you know, partnerships. The things that we do around the around the globe all the time. The nation needs us to do that. That is one of the the biggest things that we bring to the fight is is our presence and our partnerships, and then pl- you know the placement and access that both of those give us. So that's that's really you know what I mean by the generalist term. I think it's you know that's something that I'm happy to I love talking about it. I'm happy to talk about that with anybody. And I did have a good conversation a couple of weeks ago with a, a sergeant major about that particular topic. And it he wasn't looking at it it in a negative way but we I just kind of walked him through the, the logic I, so.
3: I, I think the majority of the, the formation has come back with has uh, resonated well but to your point sir some people needed a little bit more of a layout but like CSM being a multi-sport athlete was that football baseball and badminton I think um, <laughs> <laughs> highlight it, start, it, oh, high it starts with the basics and, and like it says in the who we are document we work to master the basics uh, and we're talking things like individual readiness equipment readiness education et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We can't forget about that because that's what makes us ready. Uh, but ready for what, right? Ready to, you know, we got to make our enemies accountable for, for their mistakes. And we do this by being ready. Uh, it, we got to let the enemy reconsider decisions they would otherwise make. We don't want to fight them on our turf, right? So that, that's part of being ready, right? And you're ready by being a multi-sport athlete, right? Put me in coach to do X, Y, and Z. And that goes across the board. I think people have a good understanding of that, and, and the who we are in the journalist multi-sport athletes paragraph I think covers that very well. Again, it's simple, uh, but I've had to had some conversations with some folks just to kind of peel it back a little bit more. But no issues there. I think uh, you think you did a good job there, sort of laying it out.
0: All right, I'm going to put you all on the spot. So we've, mm-hmm. we've said a bunch of positive things. Mm-hmm. What is uh, around around the room, all three of you? What is one thing that you can think of that? We need to do better on not necessarily that we're doing bad or just one thing that you think that, uh, you know, something we could focus better on or or push for, you know, priority, you know, that sort of thing, I guess.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll start. I'll give you guys I'll give you guys the, a break on this one and I'll start off. We, we've been talking about it since since I came in as a deputy last year and then we've continued it as as Lalo and DW got on board. But we, for understandable reasons, have not done a great job of holding ourselves to account over the past several years for things that, frankly, at the time, the Army wasn't paying a lot of attention to necessarily. But now that we are getting into a different operational environment within our own service and within the Department of Defense, they are things that we need to pay better attention to. So, you know, we have phenomenal people. We, we do. And, and that is not a platitude. That's not me making it up. I had a great conversation with, with a, an E6 at Fort Knox. I had a couple of great conversations with him. Ran into him in the gym there. He was there for a course that he was attending. Ran into, into him in the gym one day, talked to him for probably an hour and then didn't see him again until I went back about three weeks later. Just happened to run into him at the same gym and we had another conversation for about an hour. You know, when we travel around and, we go out and visit the units and we're interacting with them. They're extremely talented. They're they're highly intelligent. All of the things, you know, we didn't say these things and who we are because we don't think we already we are these things. Right. We Yeah, exactly. We didn't say them because we don't think yeah. or we think they aren't this. Yeah. We, this is just a reminder. You know, this is in, in the same way that. Uh, You know, all of us need a reminder of, you know, that's why we read books. That's why we interact with other people to, to help us remember, okay, yeah, what, you know, why am I doing this again? What's, what, what, what's important to me? You know, that's why we, that's why we go do things like the JFK wreath laying. It reminds us of who we are. It wasn't that we weren't that the day before, but the sensation that, that DW got when he was up there, the sensation I got when I was up there that we all did, you know, you know, it's a reminder. That's what this document is. Yeah. You know. And so, you know, I had a great conversation. One of the things I told this this, this NCO the other day when we were talking, you know, I said, Hey look, you know, I'm a, I'm an old guy. We're you know, DW's not old. DW's only like seventeen. Me and Lalo are old, right? And and there's only so much that what we say is gonna resonate with folks. What really resonates is when he is out there talking to his his peers. And the guys that are coming in behind him and he's like, no, 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 this is why they're saying this. Yeah. Let me put it in the context that I've seen it in my role as an E6 on, a, you know, e six eighteen Charlie on an ODA in third group, you know. And and that's really really important. And so that's why when we travel around and we communicate with this stuff, we we want to spread the gospel so that the so that the other folks in the formation get it. And we want it to be a conversation. You know, yeah. we don't want it to just be, and no, no, read that, man. That's everything you need to know. What are your questions? Move out." Mm-hmm. You know, that's 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 not the way this formation works. Yeah.
0: So one of the projects that we're we're working on is taking the who we are document and interviewing a handful of people, you know, mm-hmm. throughout the command and being like, "Yeah, okay." You've read this, that's who we are. Now tell me give me examples that you know in your personal experience and story that right. that you know kind of reinforces that right. who we are. So let's let's hear it from from you who yeah. who you are. You yeah.
1: Know? yeah. And and just with respect to the getting back to your question about, you know, what, what are things we're not doing well, just, there are just there's some some things, you know, that really just have to do with the way the army judges the not the really readiness, okay, because the army looks at readiness through a lens that it's, it's not inappropriate for us, but it just doesn't translate very well. Right. I mean, a a tank crew is a certain number of people. And if you don't have that certain number of people, then, then you might as well not even have the tank. The tank is sitting in the motor pool. It's been pristinely maintained. It is ready to go to combat, but there's no crew for it. So you might as well not even have the tank. That's not how we do things. Right. I mean, we've, All of us have been on trips where we were less than half an ODA probably, and I know I had several of those where we deployed with five people. You know, our warrant officer was working in the embassy somewhere, and there were five of us left, and we went and we did the mission, right? Mm -hmm. We weren't non-mission capable because we didn't have X number of people on the ODA. So I'm not really talking about the way the Army judges readiness. It really has to do with the kinds of things that the Army sees and says, wow, does that unit does that unit take accountability seriously? Does that unit take, you know, drug testing seriously, that type of stuff? It's I don't, you know, I don't think we have a drug problem. That is not my concern. And and I've been saying that from the get-go, you know, we had this big, you know, dust up earlier in the year yeah. with third group that you know, I won't get into the details of of why that case went anywhere, but I think everyone is aware that yeah, there were a few people that, that were wrapped up in that, but then there were a lot of people that were not, not, you know, that were originally implicated that had nothing to do with any misbehavior. Let me just leave it at that. So anyway, point is that those are the kinds of things that the Army can look at very quickly and say, okay, do these people know how to do this? Do these people take this seriously? And so we've got it. we have to do that really to preserve our own freedom of action. Sure. You know, if senior leaders in the Army think that we cannot – maintain compliance yeah. with certain things, then they're going to lose faith in us. And and that's that's when we start to lose our freedom of action.
2: Very well said. If, uh, you know, thinking, I'll be honest with you, it was hard to think, okay, what could we do better? I mean, obviously we get the onesies and twosies things, but thematically, I wish we were a little more apt to give benefit of the doubt and presume righteous intent. We don't do that yeah. naturally very well, so I, I think that's one thing. Let's let's go ahead and do that. Let's let's presume that we're all from Northern Michigan where we leave our doors unlocked and people have righteous intent, particularly with higher headquarters. And I got to do that too. You know what I mean And those things. The other thing that I, I want to do better is seek in perspective, and and that's awfully hard. In fact, for folks that that come to me with a dilemma, the expectation is they put the other hat on and and from the other point of view, be able to argue against themselves a little bit. You can tell right away if, if, if someone hasn't taken a lot of time to, to, to fight for that perspective. So presuming righteous intent and, and, and perspective, and then those are simply just things that I think we all have to constantly work on. But overall, especially right now, it's, it's weird right now. We don't have a center of gravity, a singular approach. But uh, those are the two things I think we'd have to work on.
3: Yeah, I say uh, kind of what we're doing now, trying uh, providing clarity. Folks, you know, all the way down to the lowest level, they hear things, they see things. That somehow just doesn't match up by what they think we're putting out, whether it's at our level or at the higher's level. And we need to be, uh, be able to react quick and fast and, and get the word out. And when it comes from the commander specifically at this level, I think it really, really helps. Easier said than done. Right? <laughs> yes. But I think it's providing that clarity but not wasting any time in trying to provide that clarity.
0: Well, I have you all down once a quarter to do this, so – if I can get all yeah. three yellow room
1: once a quarter to top but you know that's 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 actually you mentioned that at the beginning but to yeah. me that's somebody said something to me the other day about hey I know you're busy and I'm like yeah busy is an excuse mm-hmm. I I don't I don't tell people I'm busy it's it's easy it's very easy to let the imminent and the urgent supplant the important You know, and I really we are trying very hard. You know, we have tailored our travel schedule. I am not going to visit. And I've told we've told all the commanders we are not going to visit operational deployments. We're not going to Africa. We're not going to Thailand. We might do that if we're involved in some sort of exercise as the headquarters. But we're specifically not doing that because if we go see people, operationally, we we would be on the road constantly. Sure. Yep. And when you have unforecasted requirements, we all know that we're going to have to have go, go do special duty at Fort Knox. We just don't know when, right? So that's going to come up and that's going to cut into our time. So we're trying to be very deliberate with that and there's something like this, you know, once the twenties of people respond to this (laughs) and give us their great feedback, you know, then, you know, we'll come back and we'll respond and maybe we'll get to thirties of people. And so, but, but in all seriousness, I think that's really important for us to, we have to, to be ruthless as far as our time and say, okay, we know this is important. We want to be able to communicate to the formation, even if it's a, you know, whatever that, whatever percentage of the formation it is, it's, it's very important.
0: Okay. Uh, so I want to take the last part of the conversation, mm-hmm. uh, the talk, the RSOF integration piece. Yes. So I know there's a lot of rumors out there, uh, you know, as far as what's going to happen. And uh, generally, I, I know loosely that it's the reassignment of the mm-hmm. regional line battalions and civil affairs and psyop units to the uh, special forces groups. So... Jim, if you want to take the time, just to explain what it is, and then I'll just kind of ask some questions of things that I've seen people are saying, you know, some of the sure. the rumors on mm-hmm. the meme pages, that sort of thing. <laughs> there have been, let, some, let, there've let been me, some
3: good memes out there. Let, Go let ahead, me Lalo. preempt you, sir, yeah. real quick. Please. So I'm going to start off by saying I've been doing this for – and I said for over 26 years. So just kind of give a historical context of where CA and SOPS has come throughout time and what we used to do back in the day. That kind of worked. But then, fast forward to now. It's it's been how many years now, and we're still trying to get it right. I'll say that right. You know, we're getting there, but how do we get it right? Which, hence, now into the integration piece. So, I said, "Sir, I think that kind of will lend itself to what you're going to say." Yeah,
1: that's a great intro. So, just the three of us have have been in and out of this formation, really for a long time and and what what has struck me throughout my time in the formation is a lack of cohesion within this formation SF command specifically when SF you know it used to be special forces command now it's first special forces command when we made the transition from SFC to first SFC and incorporated CA and SIOP into the formation. The idea was to build more cohesion because before that, those two units were DR, direct reporting units back up to USASOC. And the idea was to to create cohesion. And as I have been in and out of the formation over the last decade plus, I have noticed that – I mean, it's been very clear that that has not happened. Yeah. And it's, it really has to do more than anything with the duality of command. OK, now there were some memes this weekend that were like, oh, well, we're becoming the artillery for SF command, you know, cause, because because I'm because we're using the Devardi construct, construct as the model. Yeah. And uh, there are there, you know, some good memes. There's some there's some guys that they, they might think they're meme lords, but they're not <laughs> Um they're, They got a pretty weak meme game. And that's um, but but some of them are really good, actually. Um, and so but the. There's a reason that the and, – and yes, for those that are going to pop up on Instagram and say the Army's going away from the Divarti construct, that's 100 percent true. It is because with a BCT is no longer the the center of gravity or the fighting formation. Yeah. It's now the division if not the core, right? Yeah. So they're rethinking the, the DeVardi construct and uh, and plus the way we're using artillery that doesn't mean that the concept behind what they did with the division artillery is, you know, bankrupt or, or inappropriate or irrelevant. And so but but what I saw as a group commander and as I polled my fellow group commanders and as we talked and as they they talked to their peers and all of this has happened over the years, there was always this duality of command. So you would deploy and you would have a formation working for you in your forward deployed construct that answered to you, but also answered to a company commander or a battalion commander who was back at Fort Bragg yep. and who was potentially giving them different guidance. And I ran into that constantly. I ran into it constantly. And it was just such a bizarre construct for me. You know, when you get to a certain level you know, I, I, I've i got a bunch of bosses, right? I mean, I answer to, obviously, General Braga, but I don't just answer to him. I mean, I you know, I, I work for a bunch of different general officers because they all have input into what's going on in this formation. And just because they don't – I mean, I don't have OERs anymore, but just because they don't sign your OER doesn't mean you don't work for them. The group commanders are very familiar with this, right, mm-hmm. because – you know, I'm their, I'm their uh, raider. General Bragg is their senior raider. But when they go forward, if Ben John can't give Jeremy Williams what he's looking for in the Pacific, well, that's a problem, right? So Ben's got at least two bosses, right? If not more, because he's also dealing with General Flynn out in the Pacific, et cetera, et cetera. At a certain level, that's understood and appreciated and, and expected. But really, down at the tactical level, and the low operational level—that's completely inappropriate. You know, uh, when you talk about the nine—you know, uh, not tenants, but the—you know, unity of command is one of the principles of war. There you go. Took me a second Man. there. Yeah, the nine principles of war. You know, unity of command is one of the most important. And so we have been trying for years to achieve. We have been trying unsuccessfully for years to achieve unity of effort. And we have not, and so the answer is unity of command. That is what is behind integration. Uh, it is gonna, it is going to clarify. It is going to clarify the command channels. It's going to clarify what what roles and responsibilities folks are going to have forward when they deploy, because they're going to be answering directly to that that battalion commander works for that group commander, yeah. and when so when that CID or that CA team goes forward. They're going to have very clear guidance. They're, the, the chains of command are going to be cleaner because they are going to be answering to an AOB and a SOTAF instead of sort of working for the SOTAF kind of, but sort of kind of working for their you – know, it, it goes back all, to
0: making it simple. Yeah.
1: Making it simple, clarity. Yeah. Yeah. And so you know, here's the thing. I, 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 I was talking to – and I'll get off the X here in just a second. But the conversations I've had with some of the folks um, – I had this conversation out at Leavenworth. That may have been the first time, but we were doing PT one morning with the, the the majors going through CGSC, and you know we've got we got all all three branches out there, and I don't like calling them tribes because I don't think we need to be tribal. Tribal is, is not a negative word, but in a lot of ways, in in the way we use it, it's 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 pejorative, right? Yeah. So. All three branches out there. And so I said, okay, uh, raise your hand if you're a psyop And I remember this young officer raised her hand. And I said, did you volunteer to come into the Army? She said, yeah. I said, did you volunteer to go to airborne school? Yes. Did you volunteer to go to PSYOP? Yes. I said, you're a three-time volunteer. Don't you think I owe you clarity and a clean chain of command? And don't you think I owe you an environment where what you all know has existed, the lack of cohesion, the..." internecine sibling rivalry, if we want to call it that, that we all know has existed for a long time. And frankly, we haven't really talked about, especially on something like this with 20s of listeners. I said, don't you think I owe you better than that as the SF command commander? And I said, I know I do. And so that's really where this all came from.
2: I want to talk specifically to Sayil Garcia. He's our fourth Pog CSM right now, because I'm about to use a football analogy. Huh. And everyone in here just rolled really their surprising. eyes. See, I'm, I'm getting grief, but. Oh, so I'm Sayul, I understand that you were a band. <laughs> Next quarter. you were You were a band guy. So I'll make this, I'll try to break down exactly what I'm going to talk about right now. Uh, in the formation, we have a lot of folks that are doing incredible things individually. Uh, it's a metaphor. So, you know, we got groups of things doing their own jobs all over the place. But one of the greatest plays in football, when you only need a yard, and J.J. Watt, a tremendous defensive lineman, defensive end, said it's the most unstoppable play there is. It's called the tush push. Why is everyone always laughing when I bring up the tush push? It's literally unstoppable. The center snaps the ball, and everyone just has one job. If you're in front of the quarterback, you push like hell, and if you're behind, you push the quarterback to get that one yard, to get that... That's the stage of this integration we're in right now. We're, going to tush, we're all going to go in the same direction and they're going to be able to run the same plays. Now for you Sail, to, to bring it into like a band a metaphor, we don't expect ever to have everyone to be on the same page the same page of music. We do expect everyone to play the same song, and that, that's what's, what's awfully important here. so we're all going to be doing a different thing, like but that. it's going to be the same song it's going to be harmonic it's going to be beautiful like the Beatles and everything else. But one thing that's rather poignant to us is, is, you know, we got to walk, the, the uh, PSYOPs do this pretty cool thing where they, they take the American flag around for 24 hours on September 11th. We we got to walk with a, a young group of folks. And one of the things that was was brought up to us is like, you know, we, we go and we, we do these things and we're a lot of appreciation, but we we come back to our own command here. We don't always feel appreciated. And that was that was rather honest with us. And you can feel that in your belly. And then you're thinking, you know, I okay, I get it. But now that we're all going to be integrated, unity to command, we're going to get that appreciation because we're all going after the same thing, and it's going to be incredible. And I think this is one of those, like I said, tush push. Let's get the first down here, let's, let's get it set up, and then, and then you're going to see it. History's shown us that uh, this is
3: this is exactly where we need to be. Well, that's the yes. fifth principle: patrolling, common sense. I like it. And sixth, <laughs> sixth thing is tush push. There you go. <laughs> We'll add that to the Ranger Handbook.
0: Yeah, if you don't mind.
1: Doctrine's updating right now. Yeah.
0: So I'll do a quick a quick true or false here, and you guys can jump in. True or false and give me a why. <laughs> so true or false, I am in a SOP unit, and since this reassignment, I'm going to PCS. True or false?
1: False. False. Why or why not? So – PCSing them somewhere would involve a, a BRAC, the base realignment and closure. That's congressional, so that's not really. Look, ideally, maybe we will get to that so at some point where you know folks are, folks are are sitting in the same locations. There's places that we might be able to do it on a small scale. And I won't even get into those because I don't want to. I don't want to fuel speculation. Yeah. But there are. Let me let me just be clear. There are zero plans to do that because of the cost involved, the relocation involved, the congressional oversight that would be involved to to actually physically move people. Um, so, but but we, what we have talked about is just in the nearer term, five years, something like that. Well. At some of the more remote places where we have folks, could we move a smaller? Could we move a company size element? That kind of thing. That's years, years in the making, and and I don't know that that's in the cards at all. Yeah. That is that is false. No one is PCSing because no one is moving.
0: As soon as you said Congress, I was like, okay, yeah, we can yes. push that down the road. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> message received. True, false. So. Through this reassignment, the, the value of SIOP information is going away at a time when information is increasingly important in the operational environment.
1: I'm going to let you all answer that one, but before you answer that, I'm going to say I think what is patently false about that is I think information has always been extremely important, and that's why we came up with SIOP in the first place. You know, We were at the ball this weekend – at the CIA ball this weekend and and part of their video they're talking about general McClure and you know he's the one that really made the Department of Defense see just how important it was but I don't care go back i mean it depends on what kind of information you're talking about i mean it's been transmitted in a lot of different ways, but I mean even if it's just even if it's just communicating rampant fear among your enemy, that's still information, and that's so so I don't think it's any more important today than – I think it's always been extremely important. I think we just have way more ways today to transmit it. And we can – we actually we actually make what's always been a very important aspect of warfare uh, not more important but more powerful because of all the different media we have to transmit it. D.W.
2: I wish maybe next time we could actually do the cameras and the YouTube thing. Well, not for you and I, but Chief has the the dude's face. He definitely has the face for radio. But the the, the, the response that we had, like 100% false. But I know why you ask, because there's probably that that, that feeling out here that there's going to be marginalization or anything else. But recent history, hell, history's taught us that when you task organize for purpose under unity of command, nothing can stop you. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what this is going to be. And so, you know. Hell, it's not gonna be it's not gonna be easy and devil's in the details with this thing. In fact, mm-hmm, right. going back to JFK, you know, we're gonna go to the moon not because it's easy, because it's hard. It's gonna be hard. And there's things that we're just gonna mm-hmm. have to we're gonna figure out. We might get wrong, we're gonna reverse it. But the beauty of what we're striving for here, you can't argue with it. Task organized for purpose, and now you've got an RSOF unit of action getting after the toughest problems that People are going to expect us to provide answers when they're not even sure what the questions are, and we have the talent to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. We couldn't do that the way we're, we're functioning right now, and that's not and that's not PSYOP, or civil affairs, or, or SF dependent. That's collectively. That's why we're task organizing for purpose here.
3: False. <laughs> what I just said or the whole thing. So no, the, to the answer to the question. <laughs> oh, sounds very hurt. Uh, and, and I, I think that's <laughs> the intent of the integration, mm-hmm. right, Is is integration equals – other people get learnt, educated on PSYOPs, civil governance. So that makes it more powerful if it's mm. done correctly. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Right? And not just within combined our, our formations, but now you're talking the partnership, which we haven't even gotten into, probably won't get into this time, but the buy with, and through aspect. So and there. again, I will go back. I mean, I'm going to keep giving the I'm, – I'm giving the
1: meme lords all the fuel they want <laughs> for the devardi thing, but, but the uh, – but that's why I go back to that. You know, an artillery battalion does not deploy with an infantry brigade and then pick their own targets. You know, that BCT commander is looking for those gunners to be experts, expert artillerists or artillerymen and women, right? But he's – and he's looking for their input on how best to employ their capability. But he's the one who makes the final say on where their capability gets employed. That's what's been missing. From our formation for over a decade.
0: Okay, I think everybody passed the quiz. I guess true. Well, it was only like three questions. And he's your senior, well, like, yeah, well, <laughs> let's
2: be real. Yeah, right. I, true, cu- sure. I cut out some of the questions because yeah. you answered them. It was all multiple away. choice.
0: Jim, <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time. So I just want to go around the room. Any any last parting words of wisdom before I send you on your merry way to serve the command on behalf of Twenty three thousand men and women out there doing great things, doing the Lord's work.
3: Yeah, I'll close out with one. Just to put it out there. So, FY, well, 2024 mark uh, will mark the 40th year anniversary of the Special Forces Warrant Officer. So, more to come. Just make sure everyone's tracking that.
1: How can y'all all be 80 years old if you've only been around for 40 years?
3: That's a strange. S.F. Ever. Warrant Officer, 40. <laughs> Go back and I check think. the math. let do a whole <laughs> podcast on that. The.
2: People often ask me, "Hey, how's it going?" I, get, you know, we got here in, in July or or whenever we got here, and I always kind of feel like when you when you go to the gym, you're like, "Man, this is super fun." You're like, "Well, yeah," because you're not doing squats or anything hard. Like all you're doing is the fun stuff. We love coming to work every single day, and I'm being a little bit facetious because we go through some hard things here, but we love it. And you know, kind of to be a little bit of a cheese ball, like I said earlier, that for America to be able to look into our formation, see the best of itself. We get to do that. We get to travel around, and we get to go in, and our folks are creative. They are audacious. As a command, sure, we're generalists. But, man, we've also set conditions now where people can – we can find those unicorns that can just do incredibly amazing things and have the ability to do that, to become experts and specialties and all these things. Chief is pointing to himself. I'm not sure why. <laughs> he
1: said unicorn.
2: No, that's what it was. <laughs> but point of all that is – is is. Man, it's hard, but if you don't enjoy being in this command, like figure out why you don't and then let me know about it. You know, mm-hmm. come and – we. if you love what, if you love this job half as much as we do, and I mean that, you know, I get to come in here and work with these guys. Clearly we, we enjoy this, understand the gravity of what we're asked to do, but if you don't enjoy it, like come and talk to me or, or talk to somebody. Don't suffer in silence because we do have a tendency, I say this a lot lately, is we, we talk about how hard something is before we talk about how beautiful something can be. This can be beautiful, and frankly, we have to be. But now we love it, and, and, and I hope uh, I hope these folks love it as much as we do, or at least half as much.
1: Yeah, that's that's that both of those are a hard act to follow, especially the warrant officer thing. Um, the uh, now I I agree completely. Every time we travel around, I'm so impressed with the young men and women that are coming into our formation, and it doesn't matter what MOS they are. You know, we've got. We've got great command teams out there that are encouraging their subordinates, whatever their MOS is, you know, to be their best selves. That's really what this is all about, right? I mean, that's that's why I'm still doing this, because if I've got the opportunity to enable people in this formation to be the best version of themselves they can be, then, then I've done my job. You know, it's a privilege to be here, and it may sound trite to hear that for the 20s of people that are listening to us out there. You know that's mere enthusiasm, as Lucky Jack Aubrey would say. But that is 100% why I'm why I'm doing this because it's it's so fulfilling to go interact with our folks, hear them hear them talk about what they're doing. The number of times that we travel around and we see things people are doing, and we're like, "Wow, who who taught you how to do that, or who showed you how to do that?" I mean, take Will Lamb for an example. Yeah. Okay, I mean that guy's doing all that stuff on his own. Yeah. On his own, you know, and the degree of creativity and talent that it takes and I'm not just saying this because he gave me a shout out on the at the at the ball the other night in his video, but but the, the, the level of creativity and talent it takes for, to create to, to, to make something like that is very it's very, very impressive. And we see that all the time, you know, at the Capex. You know, there were there were folks there that were doing tech technically oriented things that had nothing really to do with their job, but they loved the stuff and they'd gone out and spent their own money and bought this and bought that. And the next thing you knew, they'd, you know, they'd improve their formation's capabilities su- substantially just based off of a few minor things, you know. And that's really that's really the secret of, of what we do, you know, in SOF. We're not doing things at scale. We are not a scalable formation, really. Uh, I, I You know, I, I will – I'll close out. I guess this is a little bit – probably longer-winded than you intended, but you guys can edit it out as you need to. But, you know, I've talked to the formation about, okay, hey, when we start talking about our role in large-scale combat operations or major theater war, whatever we're going to call it, when we start talking about that, we don't have to try to convince the army that we're going to be the ones to win the war for the, you know, the southern arc of the Pacific campaign. And I say, okay, let's take a couple of soft examples from World War II, which is really the last major conflict like that that we fought in that lasted long enough, you know, to really use use examples where we were fighting peer, if not superior adversaries, at least at certain points in time. You know, so in the Pacific, you know, if we had not done the raid at Cabantuan, you know, if, if the United States had not done that, it wouldn't have changed the outcome of the war. And the fact that we did – Pull that mission off successfully. Did not change the outcome of the war. But for every one of those dudes that was in that prison camp, they're really, really, really glad we did it. And, con- you know, on the other side, if you look at the the raid at Point de Hoc, that's obviously kind of the, the apex of accomplishment, Omaha Beach, D-Day. There were four other beaches. Some of them were relatively unopposed. You know, the ability for us to mass across all of Normandy like we did, eventually we would have gotten behind the Germans and been able to secure the entire area, even if the Rangers had failed at Point du Hoc. I can't prove that historically, but I think any historian would probably agree with that. But for every dude in the 29th Infantry Division that didn't get shellacked by artillery – coming from those guns, they're really, really glad that raid happened. And so it's okay, and we were talking the other day with one of the subordinate units, just it's okay if we're doing things on the periphery because the periphery is still important. There are going to be operations that only special operations can do that at certain points in a large-scale conflict, a commander is going to say, hey, I really need this done. Who can do it for me? And that's that's where we're going to be. That's where we're going to be ready to step up.
0: Okay. All right, gentlemen. Appreciate you taking the time being here. Like I said, know Great it's important. To yeah. uh, hope to do it soon. Next quarter, make it a regular thing. Sounds good. Yeah. For so everybody listening, our thousands of listeners, let's correct that. Uh, <laughs> thanks for listening. Uh, make sure that you provide some feedback. Like, rate, review, and subscribe. So, uh, yeah, see you next time. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, another good episode uh, with the command team. You know, I'm not too too fond of doing the command team ones just because I want it to be a little bit more than that. Like, oh, here's your boss. Listen to your boss. But I think, you know, once a quarter or something like that, like we were saying, is good. So I hope everybody got something out of the conversation. Uh, we're trying to keep it, you know, as candid as possible with them. We don't want them to come out here and just to say the things that, I don't know, like the, the <laughs> like the sensing session yeah like, yeah we yeah, wanted to be a real God. conversation. Right. so hopefully you got a little bit of that and uh, look forward to having it on uh, having my team back again. so see you next time.